Good morning. Today's reading is from John 13, 1 through 7, and 34 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. If we haven't uh, had the wonderful joy of meeting one another, my name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend just a moment in prayer, quieting our hearts and continuing to anticipate and expect how God speaks through his word, okay? So why don't we do that together? Let's take a moment. If you've got any sort of anxieties or concerns or burdens, we don't leave those at the door. We bring them to Jesus. And so just take a moment. Recognize those things that are in the background that you'd rather ignore. And lay them before Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example. We thank you that you have gone ahead of us that you are indeed the most authentic, most consistent and brilliant person who has ever lived. We thank you that when we look at you, we see the heart of God. We thank you that when we come here together with whatever we are carrying, we can entrust it over to you and know that you meet us in it, not despite it, not in spite of it, but right there in the midst of it because you love us. God, guide us in this time. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see who it is that you are with greater clarity and so who you're calling us to be. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Oh, I love this passage. Um, it's, I mean, this is one of those moments in the history of the world that has changed the landscape of how we expect to relate to God and how we expect God to relate to us. And therefore then, frankly, how we are to relate to one another. I mean, this is massive. Just go back to this moment, just these first seven verses here 
in chapter 13. I mean, we find that Jesus, this is right before the Passover feast where Israelites are gathering together to remember God's glorious redemption from the oppression of Egypt and all that God did to bring about their salvation and their wholeness and to give them good and a promise and to bring them into the good life. And Jesus, he knows, I think that's what's so fascinating too, that his hour is upon him. He knows that he's about to die. He knows that he's going to rise again. He knows that his disciples aren't going to get it. <laughs> he knows that, that the devil, I just, listen, friends, there's a lot of things like when I talk about people who betray me, I don't have the level of confidence that John and the disciples like, the devil like in, enacted within Judas the betrayal of Jesus. This is not necessarily cozy talk. And yet Jesus knows that this close friend of his is going to betray him. And the devil's intimately involved in that. He knows all of this is going to take place. He, he deeply knows that all things have been placed into his hands. And yet he comes to a meal. Sitting with his friends. The sovereign who's about to sacrifice the Holy One who goes through utter humiliation, God who is actually a servant. And the one in whom, as the text says, had all things given into his hands. He's loving his own all the way to the end, all the way to the end of themselves, all the way to the end of his own life here on earth. He's going to the end. These very hands that hold all of creation, these very hands who shaped Adam, into the first human being. These very hands who held children when the rest of the world, even his own disciples said, these are worthless. These aren't worth your time. And he said, no, bring them to me. And he's holding the children. Those very hands that hold all of creation. He gets up from supper and he takes off his outer garment, rolls up his sleeves, ties around his waist a towel, the creator of the universe, gets down on his knees. And when they would recline at table, their faces would be towards the table, but their feet would, would be directed out. They'd more than likely be laying down. And he goes to their feet, these very hands that are holding all of this, and he begins to pour water in a basin and to scrub. I mean, feet that are covered with dung, debris, dirt. And just to be clear, friends, like they didn't take a shower the night before, more than likely, okay? So it wasn't like an everyday shower experience. They manicured their toenails because they're, no. Jesus gets down and he begins to scrub. I mean, the very hands that have fingernails, that have hangnails, that are worn thin with calluses because he was a craftsman. He gets down and he begins to scrub, more than likely getting the dirt and the dung under some of his fingernails as he's going at those feet. And then he finally, we heard it read, he gets to Peter. And he comes to scrub Peter's feet. And you heard it. Peter said, Lord, or King, do you wash my feet? You, you're, you're going to wash my feet. I mean, this is the lowest of the low. Because Peter knows on a human level this doesn't happen. On a human level, Jesus 
is actually very much scandalizing the role of a rabbi or a messiah or a king. You don't do this. You don't go to this level. Even the most pronounced rabbis that were considered humble, they didn't decrease or go below their own social status. Jesus goes to the lowest of social status, to the lowest of servants' roles, and he begins to scrub. On a human level, this is astounding, but on a divine level, the very language of water, the very image of water is meant to portray the cleansing of sins. That's the metaphor being played out here. And he goes and he begins to wash the very sins in essence, metaphorically through this extraordinary act of those who are closest to him. And so Peter is scandalized by the whole thing because of a human capacity as well as the divine dynamic, the very king, who frankly, Peter could not imagine. Frankly, we even wonder on that role, should Jesus as the king be doing this, going about sacrifice, making time in the midst of all that he has to do. We see right here in John chapter 13, we've gone from the final week to the final days to the very approaching hour. Jesus has all this going on inside of him, all of this that's going on around him. Does he even have time for this? But he makes time to serve. He makes the time. And here's what's so fascinating. He's sacrificial. He makes the time. He puts others first. There's something beautiful taking place here. And yet he's still confident in who he is. He can go to the lowest rung of service and he's not doing it to get validation. He's not doing it to, as some form of manipulation. He's not going so that he might prove that he is who he is. This is not about ultimately getting something. And Jesus, we see here in the text, he comes to this moment, the very king in the midst of a shame and honor society, which it's hard for us, frankly, in our context to really feel the stigma of this. Jesus says, you're not going to understand this right now. You need to let it happen. And then you'll understand. You will not understand while it's taking place. I love that. Jesus says, listen, there, there are going to be things that I'm going to call you into. There are going to be things that are going to happen to you. You are not going to understand in the moment, but you will. And I think in many ways we can stop right there and just say, wow, this is such a beautiful moment. Look at this beautiful picture of Jesus. And maybe we'll go one step further and say, I wish more leaders captured this tone and tenor of Jesus, but it usually stops there. And this is usually where there might even be an eye roll kind of moment, because we all know if you go down to verse 15, this isn't just about Jesus and this isn't just about leaders. This is about all of us who belong to Jesus. This is meant to define the very posture and position and the framework in which we approach one another. You may not understand it while it's happening, but you will. And I love that because later on, Jesus does explain what it means. When you get down to verse 15, he says, listen, I've set this as an example for each and every one of you. And then I pause as I'm thinking about this and I ask myself of our campus, I think of it as of the church here in the United States, and then even go, how is that going for us? How how is that 
being experienced by those who are with us in the various capacities of our lives. How is that going for us? You know, the difficulty with this passage at the end, if you follow it through, is not that it's difficult to understand. <laughs> Jesus clarifies that, right? We say that in verse 15. I could, I could sit with my son who's four years old and walk through this passage and he's going to get the concept, oh, this means I need to serve my classmates in preschool. This means I need to be kind to my siblings as much as I want to sock them back, you know, and they take my Legos Okay, there's an element of service. Even the youngest among us who have not embraced, you know, cognitive development to embrace abstract theory once they get to middle school, and so they'll get this. It's not a head problem. And the more I soak in this text, whether it be as a pastor, as a Christian, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a colleague, you see, it's not about the difficulty of understanding. It's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. And here's the real difficulty, friends. You and I, we can't change our hearts. You can't just sit there and be like, I'm not going to love this anymore. You know, I'm just going to stop. No, we have desires. We have longings. Someone else, something else has to change your heart. You can change your mind when you get new information, but changing your heart, that's someone else's department. And so the question I have for us is what does it take for us to really get this into our hearts? What does it really take for us to get this into our hearts? And to be clear, this isn't a you problem. This isn't me as a pastor speaking over you. This is me as a fellow follower of Jesus under God's word saying, I've got issues here. Listen, there was a bunch of boxes at our multi-site office on Monday. I mean, a bunch, because we're growing, and that means we're buying stuff. So thank you for your generosity, all the stuff. But there are all these boxes, and they're like, oh, our facilities team has like one guy. Can you take some of these boxes? And I'm like, that's why we have a facilities team, okay? Right? Instantly, that was beneath me. I don't like admitting it. It's really gross. But it's true. I'm like, what is up with my heart? I was like, man, on the week that I'm going to preach this text, right? Right? Of course, always. Sometimes it's exhausting to preach a text because God just reveals all the layers that I don't measure up to what he's calling us to. But how do we get this into our hearts? And what happens? Like, what changes when it really does saturate our hearts? And I think, at least for me, this was way more surprising than I realized. The answer to those two questions is way more surprising than I realize. So if you haven't already, would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13, and we're going to begin actually in verse 8. So once Jesus kind of walks through the initial kind of components of this conversation with Peter, John chapter 8, or 13 rather, verse 8. And what I love, friends, the dynamic that's, you know, underway here is that Peter has watched other people get their feet washed. He's watching and he's like, Okay, it's happening to Philip, it's happening, you know, to Andrew, it's happening to James. But then the moment Jesus gets to him, the moment Jesus gets to him, you, you heard it. And now let's look, when we get to verse 8, he says, You shall never wash my feet. Never wash my feet. It suddenly becomes very real as to what Jesus is doing and the implications it has on his own life. 
He was fine watching Jesus get into the grime of other people's lives. But the moment Jesus got to his feet, he's feeling a whole bunch of stuff. A mixture of shame and a mixture of pride. He sees where this is going. He's no fool, friends. In terms of shame, just think about this. He knows Jesus comes up with nicknames, like he's been called The Rock, right? You've got the Sons of Thunder. It's like, what's Jesus going to find on my feet that now might make up a new nickname? You know, like <laughs> the Moly Rock. I don't know, like the Corny Rock. I don't know, right? Like, what is Jesus going to find on his feet? What is it about this most intimate space, really, that only the lowest of slaves goes, and now Jesus is going to touch my feet? He's going to get into my grime? So there's some shame there. There's also pride. Hey, I'm not a leper who needs to be healed. I'm not a blind man who needs... Do you know who... I'm not like them. You don't need to scrub my feet. You don't need to wash my sin. Jesus, you and I are okay. What do you, what do you, what do you, and listen, God knows I'm not doing that for other people. Sorry, not sorry, right? He sees where this is going. And, and I, I just find it so fascinating that for Peter, he just doesn't get it at first. Someone who's very vocal and very expressive, I appreciate his honesty and his authenticity. But you see, when we ask this question, what does it take to get this into our hearts. You'll never get it if you think that Jesus only has to wash others. You'll never get this if you think that Jesus only has to serve others. You won't get it. And what does Jesus say? He goes, oh, Peter. <laughs> oh, Peter, you listen. If you don't let me wash you, you have no part in me. None. Like, this is essential. This isn't an option says, I got to get into this grime or you got nothing to do with me. And I love Peter's heart because he's so, he's just like, well, then fine. Wash my head, wash my hands, wash my torso. What do you want to wash? And she's like, whoa, 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 easy. Your feet are good enough for the illustration, all right? That's gross enough. We're going to stop there. This is meant to be a picture of what I'm doing. Going to the worst, you can be insured I'll go through all of it. And then Jesus has this riddled language where he starts talking about Judas. He says, there is one that is among us, right? And he goes to talk about Judas's betrayal in a very veiled way. And this is what's so fascinating to me because Judas gets his feet washed too. Can you imagine Jesus washing Judas's feet? knowing where those feet are going, but moments later. Scrubbing those feet, caring for Judas, knowing that G Judas is going to turn his back on him in just a moment. And Judas, who'd seen people healed. Judas, who'd watched miracles take place. Judas, who'd even seen demons thrown. I mean, all of this. But yet, how could he let Jesus wash his feet and still go out and betray him? Because it was no big deal. Jesus was a failure in his eyes. He was not the Messiah he was looking for. Eventually, Jesus did something that didn't measure up to what Judas expected Jesus to do. So sure, wash my feet and I'll get on with life. You see, listen, listen, you won't get it. You'll never get it. If not only you think that Jesus only has to serve others, but you'll never get it if Jesus 
if you never get who Jesus is, like if you don't get that this is who is indeed washing your feet, that he's the creator of the universe, that he is sovereign over all and he is sacrificing all, that he is the holy one, the one that is set apart throughout all of history, but he's going to humiliate himself for you, the one that is God, and yet he becomes a servant. If you don't get that, you'll never get this. And as much as we walk through this, and we hear words and we hear ideas, yes, you'll never get it, if Jesus only has to serve others and you'll never get it if you don't understand who Jesus is. The only way you'll get it is if you let Jesus actually serve you. When you let the king of the universe scrub your muck and your mire and the grotesque things of your soul and you let him in there to do his work, if you let him name that you need to be washed in the first place. You see, there's an order to this that I think is really important. We are sensing beings before we are thinking beings, just as humans. We experience something, and then we seek to make sense of what we've experienced. And Jesus knows this. He's like, you're not going to understand this, but you need to go through it. And then I'm going to explain it. And for some, we may really want to jump to verses 12 through 17 without reclining in verses 1 through 11. We may really, really want to go about and say, you know, I'm just going to pursue the good of others. But you know what, Jesus, you don't have to wash me. You know what, I think I've got a framework that's good enough for your example that I can go do what you want me to do, but you don't have to change me. You can go through all of this and we can skip over the essential progress of this text and what Jesus himself is doing with his disciples. You see, you and I, we have to let King Jesus, God incarnate, serve us. We have to let him. And we can't let shame stop him at the door. We can't let our pride stop him at the door. Where is that... Where's that area that he needs to wash you? What's that area of shame in your life? What's that spot when you look back over your past, you get this knot of guilt in your stomach? What is so sacredly painful to you that you've locked it up in a box of your soul, thrown it in a closet within a forgotten room in which you've swallowed the key? Jesus says, I have to wash that. You can't just hide it. You can't tell me that I can't go there. You gotta let me in. And I want to. I want to wash you there. You've got to let King Jesus, who is God incarnate, serve you there. And I don't know where that is for you, but for some in this room and for all of us, frankly, there's always more that Jesus wants to wash. There's always more. There's more in me. There's more in you. There's more in us collectively, even as a community. And you're only going to get it. Your heart will only get experience, experience this transformation if you let Jesus serve you. But we can't stop there, friends, because frankly, that's not where Jesus stops. 
right? This is an essential first step. And I don't say first as like in one and done. In one sense, yes, when we invite Jesus into our life, we are secure in his grasp and he holds us and we can walk with him in the midst of our continual failures and frustrations, yes. But this, in many ways, we come to him again and again with repentant hearts going, there's more you need to wash. There's more you need to wash. No one in this room has arrived. No one, including the person who's sitting awkwardly on a stool, right? Like that's, none of us have arrived. But it's not the final step. There is a next step as we look here and we continue in the text. Look with me, verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? See how that connects back to what he'd said earlier? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So ultimately, Jesus says, listen, If you've experienced being washed by me, you will go about serving others. If you've been served by me, you will serve others. And listen, this this kind of expansive nature, this posture, it has no bounds. It touches every nook and cranny of your life. And we could talk about how this shows up personally. Like who's the one person that you don't want to serve? Who's the one person you don't want to wash their feet, even though they're going to look at you and say, I don't need washing, like, right? I don't need to be served. Who's that one person in your life? We could talk about that. We could talk about your work because we are indeed a church for Monday. We talk about that quite a bit. And what's the areas of service? What does it look like to take that posture? We could talk about outreach. We could talk about the ministries that we partner with that engage under-resourced communities and the people that are often overlooked by our society. Yes, yes, and yes. But where the text has its primary note, not at the exclusion of the others, but as the primary note, we see lands in verses 34 and 35. Look with me again. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Mm. You see, when Jesus serves, he comes to a recognition that once you've experienced that, You can't help but serve others. And the whole world's going to feel it. Everyone else is going to be like, oh, you know what? That reminds me of someone. When I look at this community, it makes me think of Jesus and this strange idea that the one who declared himself to be God and others declared him to be God didn't actually take his role as a place of entitlement but got down on his knees and washed the feet of those he came to save who had turned their, their backs on him. And that this whole community kind of smells and looks and feels a lot like that. You see, ultimately... Jesus isn't talking about human community. 
people who may or may not affirm Jesus. He's talking about the church community right here, friends. He's ultimately talking about even a collective identity. Sometimes we go to these passages because this is kind of our nature within Western culture and we just go to apply individualistically. What does this have to do with me on my own in all my spheres? In reality, more than likely, the original author as well as the original audience, when they would have heard this passage, they'd have thought about their collective identity when they gathered together to serve one another and to come alongside of each other such that if one was in crisis, they stood for and next to and with one another. This was much more a statement about the community versus just an individual Christian living out a me and Jesus life. It is an us and Jesus experience. And he's not talking about all the people who aren't in the room. The Pharisees aren't in the room. The disciples who thought that Jesus didn't measure up aren't in the room. Judas, who was to betray Jesus, had already left the room. People who thought Jesus never deserved the time of day aren't in the room. Now, there are texts that highlight how we are to love those who do not love Jesus. They are there, but that's not what this text is about. If we can't get this text right among us, we have no hope for the next step of love. It has to start with these concentric circles. It has to go from the inside out. It has to. And it's not a mere squishy affection. Well, I think this is what love looks like. No, 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 no. Jesus defines love again and again and again as an alignment, as we're going to see, a keeping of his commandments is his love language. <laughs> That's crucial. So don't say that the community ought to discard his commands in order to love you. That is not Jesus' definition of love. Don't do that. That's your definition, a very Western, modern framework that just seeks to assuage your guilt rather than guide you into life. But when it comes to love here, it is a foot-washing love that is frankly really uncomfortable. No, none of the apostles, the disciples were comfortable with Jesus getting. It wasn't like, oh, is this okay with you? Jesus is like, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. And Peter's like, oh, well, in that case, just wash all of me, right? Like, this is not like a real cozy, comfy, you made me feel great. No, this is intense, sacrificial, making time in the midst of the busy dynamics of Jesus going to the cross. And that kind of community that goes out of their way, putting others first, being confident still in who they are in Christ, not looking for validation when they serve one another, not trying to manipulate one another in their service of one another, not trying to finally hear that they're good enough because they already know that they are loved enough in Jesus. All of that is what this is meant to portray as we walk with Jesus together. So let me ask you, friends, I will make it personal, although it's not exclusively individualistic. How are you serving your church family? Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, you've got a full pass of where this is going. I'm being very serious because when we think about service, it's something that flows out of Jesus already serving us. So if you're exploring the Christian faith, we don't want someone who's going to come here and serve thinking they're earning their place in this community. That's not it. You never have to earn anything here. <laughs> 
This is a call. And honestly, if you're a guest, welcome. We want to also communicate hospitality to you, get to know this place. But if you're here today and you're already concerned if this sermon might go long, mm, you're not a guest. <laughs> you're not a guest. And, and listen, friends, we I, I could go and wax quite long about uh, the various needs that we have. We could talk about a great safety team we have, and yet we're down 8 to 12 people. I could talk about the need for an additional drummer. Zach's amazing, but we need another one. We could talk about how we need an additional bassist. We could talk about how we need people in, more people in AV. We could talk about how we need more people serving community. And on it, we could talk about, who has the time? And, I, and here's the deal. I want to zero in on one particular aspect of service in our community I think really matches, frankly, the tone and tenor many of us would approach this aspect of service with what we see in the text. And it's children's ministries. Now, for those of you who serve in children's ministries, God bless you, right? You already get this. But I'm going to tell you, because I've been around for at least a little bit now, I hear what people say, men and women, around children's ministries. Okay, so you want to be real for a second? Men sometimes say, oh, man, I'm not going to serve in children's ministries. That's where women belong. Oh, nope, you don't get it. I hear women say, well, throughout history of the church, that's where women were regulated, and now I'm not going to do that. I'm above that. No, that's wrong. Both of those are cultural baggages where we're trying to define ourselves as good enough. Did you hear about that? Because it's about protecting your ego. That seems very much in line with what Jesus is annihilating with his service here. And our children need men and women in there, caring for them. Frankly, in our culture, more and more children are discarded and are seen as a hindrance to accomplishing life's goals and desires church we need and i could tell you how last week we had a children's ministries class shut down because we didn't have enough volunteers i could tell you about under Aquila's brilliant leadership we have a desire to not only expand the opportunities we have in second service but also make it available in first service so that children can experience the beauty of community with one another as well as mentors and leaders and teachers above them that are investing in them specifically I mean, I could go on and on, frankly, about the different dynamics of what we would love to see, but who has the time? And I could tell you how when you serve in a community, especially in a church community, that's where you begin to sense belonging. That's where it goes from being a church that I'm exploring to my church. That's where you get to know people. That's where you build friendships. People get to know your name, especially kids. I don't know my time, how many times my kids will see people who serve in children's ministry, but see them out of different contexts, whether it's in like, you know, Target or Trader Joe's or even just in the midst of the service, and they run up to them and they're like, oh my goodness, it's so great to see you, right? Like, like my kids, so I'm very per this is very personal for me, but it should be personal for every one of us if we have a framework for family and the faith, right? These are our kids. And I could talk about how this is good for you relationally, but we don't have time for that. And frankly, that's not even the main point, okay? Because listen, I'm not a manager of consumable goods. It's not my role. I am not a leader, 
just trying to accomplish goals. I'm a pastor who longs for your formation in Christ. And serving is a way that we actually grow in our relationship with Jesus. It is a spiritual discipline. If you want to grow, listen, I would, I would be practicing pastoral malpractice if I didn't say that serving in your local church is one of the greatest opportunities for you to grow in Christ-likeness. You better have a deeper empathy as to what Jesus is doing in this moment, his very posture towards those who are his own. There's something rich and beautiful there that allows you to deeply, more deeply understand Jesus and for the spirit to work through service and shaping you in humility and wholeness. But I recognize this is kind of an eye roll moment too, right? Like you came to church like, oh, Gabe is preaching through the announcements this morning. You know what those announcements are? They're not tangential ministry opportunities to keep you coming back for the good stuff. Those announcements are opportunities of what a community shaped for Jesus starts to look like when it's caring for all of its members and for those who are gracing its place. And we get to meet. Like, listen, friends, the announcements are not just tangential little outside. This is an aspect of our community becoming whole together. Not just us tailor-making your own little spiritual journey where you get to touch base for a second, plug in, and then plug in somewhere else later. We are meant to do life together. And I know that there, we live in a unique time, maybe not that unique, but unique enough that there is stigma, there is concern around institutions and churches, and people have had different experiences with churches. Some people were confronted in their sin, and so they feel hurt about that, and so church is a difficult place. Some people had pastoral malpractice against them, and they felt hurt about that. I recognize that there are a whole bunch of different dynamics, some that are just very complex, so that when people come to church, there is this wrestling as to whether I'm going to keep my hand, you know, myself at arm's length. But listen, if you are hurt or you long to grow, the longer you don't serve, because we can think this like, I'm not ready to serve because I'm not whole enough. Listen, friends, and I'm never going to push you into something, but I want to encourage you. You will never continue the healing journey. You will never progress in your growth unless you are also serving the local body. This is the way it's been designed. If you long for a deeper relationship with Jesus and you long for a greater wholeness, you have to serve. And I know that can feel manipulative. I hope not. Sometimes when you say things that are true, it can feel manipulative, and I hope not, but I'm just going to say it anyway because I'm not really concerned about how you view me, but I really want you to grow. And some might say, you know, Gabe, I've got certain gifts. Well, Jesus didn't clearly have the foot-washing gift. He saw the need, and he sought to love those who were around him. Where are their needs? And frankly, children, they, they need teachers. If you feel called to teach, if you feel called to stir community, if you feel called to care, all of that. When I, I'm just zeroing in on one. I'm not saying it's exclusively happening there, but that can happen in children's ministries because there is a significant need there. We don't have to live into what is really common in church world called the 80-20 rule. Anybody familiar with that? Where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That's really, really common in the American church. And I'll say this, y'all are doing better than that here. So praise God for each and every one of you. I mean that. And if you are actively serving, thank you for loving this church the way Jesus calls you to. 
but I think we can do better. And because I care about you, I'm just going to give you a quick little, here's a quick framework, okay? If you're not serving anywhere, do this. Serve once a month for six months. I'm getting super practical here, friends. Once a month for six months. You know what that looks like? That's about 10 hours out of six months. About 10. And if you're like, well, I don't want to miss going to church, that's why we have two services. You can go to the first service and then serve in the second. Or you can serve in the first service and then go to second. Listen, we're structuring a community that you might experience robust formation and intimacy with Jesus. That's what we long for more than anything. I don't really care about the numbers. If there's 10 of us, awesome. If there's 300 of us, awesome. I just want us to grow in Jesus. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to here. You can serve as a volunteer check-in at children's ministries. You could be a lead teacher. You could be a supporter. But here's what you can do as a next step, okay, friends? Because I'm a big fan of next steps. And it doesn't always mean just quietness in your heart sitting in your seat. Here's a great next step. You can come to the children's ministry volunteer lunch at 1245. If you're like, you know, honestly, it's really not children's ministries. We'll go to the, to, the, to the hello wall out there. We've got this wonderful little thing right out there that has all the staff on it. Email someone on staff and say, I want to help. That, that simple. I don't even know what it looks like. Help me out. It's like, Heidi, you're so great. You give all the announcements so wonderfully. Help me get connected. And she will, right? Or when the clipboards. Listen, we've got so many opportunities, right? You just, the clipboard comes across to say, I just want to serve. Here's my email address. I don't even know. Where's the need? That would be awesome too, right? The, there is not a lack of opportunity to engage. Once again, it's not a head problem. And I mean this. It's a heart deal. And Jesus had a heart for the church and for the people who are his. And I could go into specifics. I've thought about this, had conversations about this. Like I could talk to you about how it's going to feel like a sacrifice, how you've just got to, you're always going to be busy, but you just got to make the time. I, I, I get all of that, but here's the deal, friends. If you get it because you've been served by Jesus, you'll get it. How do I know? You know, Jesus is not the only person who washes feet in the gospel account of John. Do you remember? And he's not the first. <laughs> Believe it or not, he's not the first and he's not the only we saw this back in John chapter 12. Who came to Jesus and washed his feet? Anybody can say it. You can shout it out. Mary. She didn't have to be told what to do. She didn't have to say, oh, this is the time and the place. She just knew two things. She knew that she needed Jesus to serve her, and he had. He had loved her and pursued her. He didn't need all the extra specifics. She got creative. She brought this priceless nard. She wipes it on his feet. She cries over his feet and begins to wash it with her hair. Why? Because she knew who Jesus was and he, she knew that he had served her. And he, she made the way. So if you're looking for an example, yes, look to Jesus. But I can't help but wonder, in the mystery of the fully human, fully God nature of Jesus, if he saw the way everybody responded to the scandal of Mary, and he said, I'm going to do that too. He saw the way everybody looked at Mary, setting a brilliant example. And he said, no, no, no. Later, when it's just my, you know, my closest, I'm going to do what Mary did. And now I'm going to both affirm her and say, this is what defines our community. You don't need all the specifics, but you do need a heart that has been served by Jesus. And then you go looking for those opportunities to serve. If you get it, then you'll get it. 
So how do we get this into our heart? You've got to let Jesus serve you. You've got to let him get into those grotesque, muck and miry spaces of your memories, of your experiences, of your sins, of your shame, of your heartache. And then you've got to say, okay, <laughs> you've done that for me. Wherever you, wherever you want me to go. I know I'm loved, so I don't have anything to prove. I've got nothing to hide. Where do you want me to serve? Oh, there's a need there? Great. Let's go there. Let's serve there. So do you get it? Have you let Jesus wash you? And so allowed the Spirit to inspire you to wash and serve others. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a second. I want to invite, invite you. Sometimes, once again, words. God's created us to be brilliantly imaginative creatures. So I want you to imagine something as we close today. I want you to imagine that you're reclining at that table. I want you to imagine that that one thing that we've been highlighting that you're so ashamed of, that you're so consumed with, that frankly you try your best to ignore, but in those moments of quiet, it sparks back up. You feel guilt, you feel anguish, heartache over. I want you to imagine that is all over your feet. And then I want you to see Jesus creator of the universe, the king of kings, the highest of the high. The apostle Paul talked about it in the, the letter to the Ephesians. He's seated above the highest of heavens over all. And he stoops to wash your feet. And he's scrubbing. And instead of anger or disgust on his face, you see love. Because you let him wash your feet. You let him serve you. And his tears come down his cheek. And he looks up at you and he says, you are forgiven. You are whole. And then he says, go and do likewise. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and how you show up in the world. That we have nothing to hide if we just hand it over to you. God Almighty, would we receive your service and the great work that you have done for us? Do your work on us so that we can serve others. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.